On this episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about ensuring new innovations are set up for commercialization with Steve Miller from Insurance Office of America Innovation Group. The InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, And we are back with another episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast with me, my illustrious co-host, Rob Galbraith. How's it going, my fellow Texagander? <laughs> it's going, James. It's going. It's uh, already mid-February, and uh, really looking forward to, to spring break in a month. So uh, it's just around the corner. I know. It's, it's coming. Into 2023. Well into it. You, you can you can tell the Texans are going to be traveling for spring break because everything is sold out right now for March. <laughs> I was like, I was looking at everything vacation related for, you know, the the major two weeks that Texans are on spring break. And it's like, yeah, 20 million people are going to be traveling out of Texas uh, at spring break. It's going to be crazy. They are not slowing down. I'll tell you that. Not at all. It's uh, it's bananas. And and uh, with us from the uh, Pacific Northwest. Uh, good to see you, Steve. How, how's it going? Doing well. Yourself? I cannot complain. It's uh, it's great to be on the uh, on the show talking about innovation and talking about with someone who's actually helping in innovative companies make sure they stay covered and can roll out new products and function with the gears of business and still have insurance to do it. That's uh, always the challenge. Uh, it's a it's a shifting landscape, and that's what we're going to talk about today, isn't it? Uh, it is. You know, our, our job is to provide solutions, and we don't always have the same leeway that insurance carriers made to have uh, to say, no, we'll sit on the sidelines. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to chat about that. Before we talk about what you're doing at uh, the uh, Insurance Office of America and what you guys do every day, I want to talk about you. Um and in your background and just understand how you got in because you've actually been in insurance for a really long time you've, you've been in 19 years started as a, a client service agent with mutual underwriters i believe and i just wanted to kind of hear from you like where'd you grow up what'd you go to school to do and then how'd you wind up in insurance yeah there, there's always an origin story right and it typically hinges on some family uh connection and, that, and that's the case with me so grew up in uh, northern california uh, in redding Went to Hawaii to chase my high school sweetheart, who's now my wife of uh, being 19 years next month. And uh, her mother-in-law worked at an agency, which was Mutual Underwriters. So that that was the inn. Um, it was as close to the mailroom as you could get without actually working in the mailroom. And, uh, you know, the, the thing I remember most is... The weekend before I started this job, I asked my mother-in-law, can you bring home the, the insurance book that I can study? Because I, I was good in school, and I thought I could just read this book over the weekend and know exactly what I needed to do for the rest of my career, right? 19 years later, I know that I know less than than I need to, right? And we, we are continuing to uh, to learn. So so that was the start. And what, it, what it's done, James, is it's really allowed me to understand this business and this industry from the ground up. Yeah, it's uh, kind of how I feel about the tech business. You know, I, I've been, I started building websites, writing code, testing it, then moved into project management. I mean, I've, I've done every job in my company. I mean, it, uh, done all of them. 
So it's, you know, you give, you give someone 21 years and you, you can get around to a lot of different things that you do. Yeah. It's yeah it, it gives you great leadership skills, right? Because yeah. your team now you understand what they're doing and you're not going to come in as a tyrant and say, why isn't it done yet? Cause you understand the, the steps in the process that might slow things down or, or might cause difficulty. Or when you are a tyrant, you're being strategic about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And you speak with authority, right? That's a, yeah. a, maybe it's a little bit of both, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's. Uh, so so you, you got in through Family Connection. That's awesome. And you, you went through as a client service agent, account manager, vice president with McGriff, and then you, uh, for the last three years, have been with Insurance Office of America. Um, you know what? You know you and you spent a, a very long time over at McGriff. I mean, what lines of business did you write? Where did you really focus? a lot of your time over your career. Yeah, I mean everybody starts as a generalist from a from a broker standpoint and I did as well. Um had multiple points of influence from my mentors and did, have have worked on and have specialization in everything from food manufacturing to senior living, transportation, nonprofits and then really an emphasis on technology, both based on proximity to the uh, Silicon Valley and proclivity to a line of business uh, type of business, you know, I'm a I'm a big believer in do what you love, and um, that doesn't necessarily mean insurance is mine or many people's first passion, but helping uh, innovative companies is a way to to scratch that itch within our industry. You know, if I'm going to be working with insurance, I would love to be doing it with exciting companies. So. That's uh that's really how I got to where I am today and where I I grew was largely in tech. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And and what is what does innovation lead really mean at IOA? Like at, at your company, what what does what does it mean to innovate? I mean that that's a that's a really wonderfully broad phrase and can mean anything. You can create new insurance product, you can create new technology product, you can create new technology product for insurance product. You can do new service lines, new lines. I mean, what is it what does it really mean? What's the what's the mandate for y'all corporately in innovation? Uh, wonderfully broad and broadly wonderful. Like that that's that that's the intent. So <laughs> it it does plug in as technology, but if you just step back and take a more macro look, what it means is we're not executing the status quo. And it can be as specific and cutting edge as autonomous vehicles, which we're going to talk a lot about today. And it can be as basic as, hey, how about we move our renewal process online because we're all tired of sending back and forth PDF non-fillable applications to our clients who are condition now in the marketplace to go buy their auto insurance online through a you know, very easy entry, click to quote sort of uh, process. So, you know, kind of soup to nuts. How do we really bring this industry into the 21st century? Yeah, it's, it's awesome. And there's a, I've seen a, a good bit of movement in the broker community in the last two years to finally getting rid of PDF form filler. I mean, that's, that's, that, that was amazing to see so many, and a lot of them are adopting very similar platforms. Uh, so it's been, it's been really interesting to see that, that movement's like finally acknowledging that this is a giant pain in the rear end that no insured enjoys. Um, it was the first thing I did when I came over to IOA, um, which was <laughs> by the way, one week into COVID lockdown in March of 2020. So talk about timing, but I was so tired of the red tape of, we can only do it this way. We only have these security clearances and protocols. And, you know, here's all the red tape. Came over to Iowa and within two weeks, uh, 
was connected to one of these online platforms. And, uh, you know, 95% of the clients love it. You're going to have 5% old school, just give me my paper, but it's people are, people are adapting. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, Steve, I'm fascinated, uh, as a former innovation lead myself, uh, I kind of know a little bit about, uh, what my experience was like in the many different balls that we would have in the air and many hats to wear. But, you know, for you as an innovation lead uh, at uh, Insurance uh, Office of America, what does a typical week look like for you? Well, it's interesting, right? Because <clears throat> as a seller expert, you've got one foot in client deliverables and, and one foot into development and prospecting and uh, program creation. So there is a balance there and I've got a great team that stands with me to, to help execute on a lot of these client facing deliverables. It's insurance, right? Renewals, policy maintenance, risk control, all of the day-to-day -day activities. But we do spend a large amount of time, not just on that business development aspect, but on, I would say, industry development, right? So specifically around future mobility and autonomy in its many modes um, from sidewalk delivery bots to private passenger cars and tractor trailers. We've spent the last eight years really working hard to um, uh, get in front of insurance carrier executives, get together with new insure tech uh, opportunities, new MGAs, help build products. So a lot of my week is spent doing meetings like that, speaking to industry trade groups, um, helping on, on regulatory initiatives, kind of runs the gamut, but we do spend a lot of time trying to raise the tide. Now let's talk about autonomous vehicles because this poses a new challenge uh, across across the gambit, and it's not the only it's not the only emerging technology that causes headaches for insurance contracts, right? Like it, it's, but but it's a really good example to talk about. So you you kind of gave us a, a precursor and about three minutes ago that we're going to talk about this, and I think we need to because it uh, just my legal mind uh, gets set ablaze when you're trying to figure out who's actually driving and who's responsible. And, um, and then how, you know, how do you insure it? How do you build a risk program around it? Um, you know, how, how, do, how do employers feel about this? There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of moving parts here and it's a really good case study in how insurance has to adapt to modern times. So tell me, tell me what, where your thoughts are around it. James, we could do this one of two ways. I could give you the, the three minute version with follow-up questions or I could start talking for 10 minutes. <laughs> Whatever you want, buddy. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, let's start with kind of where we were and, and where we're going, right? In 2015, I was having lunch outside of Stanford with a professor who was starting uh, what turned out to be the first self-driving car company permitted in the state of California by the DMV to test autonomous vehicles that was not an OEM, right? That distinction is important because OEMs have... Um, uh, captive arrangements, self-insurance, they didn't have to go into the marketplace to buy their insurance. Uh, this company did. And I was, uh, to my previous point about just uh, proclivity and, and interest level, I was very excited, went back to my office, started calling underwriters, uh, telling them I wanted them to insure autonomous vehicle risk. They thought it was really cool. And they laughed at my audacity to say that they should take a flyer on this brand new thing that nobody understood, that had no actuarial data, that flew in the face of the hundred years of human-driven data that was available. 
So we worked at that time and have worked since on getting that first carrier invested and then and then broadening the market and and not just private passenger cars but oh now the industry is pivoting towards uh tractor trailers you know commercial trucking uh as well as oh you know on-demand uh delivery robots and industrial automation so over the last eight years and this is a really brief summation but we have worked intensely with risk control actuaries underwriters um, and and carrier executives to help them stand up their own um, future mobility groups. And the intent here is to to be ready for deployment. So if we talk about coverage, it's interesting in that the auto policy, the commercial auto policy works right now for testing. There's no quote unquote policy differentiation. There are a few tweaks and endorsements, but essentially the four corners of that insurance contract don't mandate that a car be driven by a human driver because it was the default until very recently, right? So the policy is silent on that. We don't have a coverage issue. We have an underwriting hurdle in that the underwriters need to be comfortable with the exposure to offer that policy. So this has been more of a trust gathering exercise and an eight plus year um, exercise in, in getting comfortable with, you know, renewing policies and saying that claims are not um, outsized and saying that when they do happen, there's a lot of data involved with it that actually is, is it helps in the defensibility of insureds. It helps in uh, forensic reconstruction or the lack of need to do reconstruction because now we, we have very clear data on what happened. Um, as we move forward, you know, we're looking at a shift from what is now an auto liability standpoint or uh, exposure, first party controlled tested vehicles to deployment of these autonomy systems into third party uh, vehicles, bots, what have you. That shifts it to a product liability exposure, right? And there are a myriad of unknowns as to how the regulatory influence will play out, um, how judicial, um, findings or and and, and uh, case law will work when you do have an accident that starts with say a motor carrier and then flows back towards the the fail point being autonomy and the av company and their product liability um, so there's a lot of unknowns to to be taken care of you know i have a i have an escalade with super cruise and uh it drives me to work every day on the highway mm -hmm. it is not perfect <laughs> Uh, it, it, you know, GM has some work to do. Uh, and I remember when the CEO of GM said that by 2019, they'd have, you know, autonomous fleet, fully self-driving. I mean, and they have severely crippled their autopilot intentionally, <laughs> um, more so than other auto manufacturers. I mean, in fact, I think I would have more self-driving if I had a Hyundai you know, because they they don't require that the road be mapped for them to to keep you in the middle of the lane and keep you distance from the car in front of you. And so I just wonder, obviously, the lawyers are playing a heavy hand and in them intentionally downgrading capabilities because they're deeply concerned. It, as they've released software updates, they've actually made me look up and look forward more often. Um, <laughs> so they they've obviously got some concerns. You had a guy. 
and this 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 weighs in on every under it's got to weigh on every underwriter that during the Super Bowl somebody takes out an ad to trash Tesla's FSD full self driving right that this all has an impact doesn't it it does um what we should pay attention to is the language being used the industry outside of Tesla has really moved away from the term self driving and embrace the term autonomy as an area of differentiation right um the the moniker that tesla uses that full self-driving or, or or autopilot implies a level of functionality that the lawyers for tesla say doesn't exist so there is this disconnect between i think the face of that organization and the intent and the inspiration and the drive and then the functional reality so uh you're right uh, I would say GM is, is smart to reduce the functionality and make sure that you do have eyes on the road because we have seen instances of Tesla drivers that have been grossly negligent getting out of the seat or falling asleep or deciding that they could drive home drunk, which is not the intent, right? We're talking about on the, in the market right now, a level two autonomy. So it needs constant supervision. It's going to perform some tasks of driving with, you know, lane keeping, adaptive cruise control, but you need to be ready to take over at a moment's notice. The industry and my clientele are intensely focused on safety, right? If you look at technology, there, there are two schools of thought. Um, and, and the more traditional one is uh, iterate fast, watch it break, and then patch it. And that works, that works really, really well with a cell phone. That does not work so well with a couple thousand pounds of a vehicle or you know, um, a tractor trailer driving down the road. So um, the industry that I work with is, is very focused on safety, uh, thoughtful rollout, testing, guardrails, um, all of that. And I think we probably should work to segment um, some of that press. You mentioned that Super Bowl ad. You know, it didn't say we should not operate or research into autonomy. It said we need to be careful about Tesla. And I, I'm I'm fascinated by the topic. I'm fascinated by the top, by the technology itself, but I'm also fascinated by the just the liability questions that come up. And, and we can dig know, into that. Um, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. I, I think um, lost my train of thought there. Uh, well, I think when we talk when we talk about liability questions, for me, I'm sitting there driving down the road, and like one time it it just popped out of the lane. I mean, just straight up popped out of the lane on on a curve. Yeah, which I the same I mean, thing with an Audi. You know, if I'm going on a curve, I'm paying attention because I'm not sure what it's going to do, or if the lane markings change um, and two lanes merge, it it starts to to freak out. Uh, it came back to me what I was uh, going to say, which is. We have to be very careful not to make perfect the enemy of better. In mm -hmm. this industry in particular, if we were to just flip a switch overnight and all vehicles were self-driving or autonomous the next day, and we waited a year and, and pedestrian and, and traffic deaths had gone from 40,000 down to 10,000, the headlines would scream, robocars kill 10,000 people. Right. Um, <laughs> yes, <it would. laughs> so, so we need to we need to keep in mind these these systems will fail, but at what threshold of failure do we find acceptability in honestly saving thousands of lives? Yeah, it's really hard in all technology 
it's really hard to focus on the aggregate and the big changes. I mean, the, the car fires, Tesla car fires were the same thing. Like they were, they were harping on batteries catching fire. I'm like, have you ever seen a car fire? It happens all the time because we carry gasoline <laughs> around. They right. catch fire constantly. Like right. this is not like, what are you talking about? The risk of fire is substantially less, but they just, they, they take the exception, make it the rule. They make it the headline because, yeah. because it, it, you know, if it leads, it bleeds. And then, and then it, you know, it, it impacts insurance companies because they don't have a pallet. They don't, they, they actually end up not having a pallet for that. Right. It, it becomes right. a popular and it, it's in the news and they, they're, they're not just risk averse around losses. They're also risk averse around, around negative, negative news. They don't, stand to profit immediately from being on the cutting edge right yeah. that's what i alluded to earlier is that we we do have to find solutions my clients are the ones that are deploying um in short order but the insurance carriers for the political reasons reputational reasons and risk reasons just um they can afford to step back rob what you got yeah i'm curious steve so on the one hand i've heard arguments that say look you know a lot of this uh autonomous driving should reduce accidents by up to 90%, right? And so you could make the argument of, hey, if I'm willing to insure humans on a standard commercial auto, right, or, or private passenger auto, then I should take a bet on autonomous because, you know, the, the, the overwhelming amount of evidence studies, et cetera, say it's going to be a much better risk than what I'm currently riding today. I mean, I can potentially charge what I charge today, right? And then as the loss experience proves out, I can, you know, lower my, my rates if I want to be very cautious. On the other hand, I've heard people say, you know, to your point, this question about the liability. Well, we think it's going to be product liability, but we don't really know. It's untested in court. And so we want to actually wait, not just until the manufacturers maybe, you know, say they'll take it on or what. It's like, we want to actually see the case law. We want to see this and we want to see it jurisdiction by jurisdiction because as we know, insurance is regulated at the state level because each state has, has different laws, right? Uh, and so it's a very kind of reactive approach. So, you know, between those two poles, you're somebody that's obviously out there, you've got real clients with real needs and you're trying to thread a needle. So I would say, you know, what are some uh, conversations that you've had with maybe some of the more innovative carriers out there or folks and, and how would you maybe encourage, um, carriers if there are people thinking about, um, dipping a toe in the water here or becoming more on the, the cutting edge, knowing that they, there could be some long-term market share gains if they get this right, rather than being reactive in the past. Um, any, any guidance, advice, or thoughts that you might have for, for folks out there based on your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, something like 94, 96% of accidents are, are human error related. So if you can just cut that in half, you're going to be way ahead of the game. Um, so, so that's one component. I think also that when we talk about um, premium, we're going to need to see pretty quick investment, and I say investment on purpose, from carriers on reducing the premium, at least around auto liability. And I'll talk about how they can feel secure actuarially or from a risk modeling standpoint doing that. But the reality is that the physical value of the of the vehicles is going to be more expensive right because we're in many cases we're including lidar radar as well as camera stack so your physical assets higher your physical damage uh, exposure is higher and your cost to repair is higher so when you do have an accident it's going to cost more on the physical damage now hopefully the accidents are less frequent 
and less severe, and you've got that reduction of frequency as well as a reduction in uh, medical costs. But I would say if we don't um, unlock the key on how to make the coverage cheaper from the get-go, it, it hinders adoption, right? OEMs or commercial fleets are not going to want to take on this new uh, software as a service, autonomy as a service with added capitalization and not see a relief in premium. Now, how do we get there? There's a lot of great work being done by um, safety engineering firms around how to prove a safety case, right? And that's not taking uh, the secret sauce data of how the vehicle is driving itself, but that's benchmarking how the vehicle should drive, what the intended operation parameters were to look like versus how the vehicle was driving. And if you're hitting these metrics and benchmarks along the way, you know your system is, is performing um, accurately and, and safely and, and repeatedly. So uh, that's the data right now and the um, approach that the interested carriers need to be involved in is, is starting to take the, the safety cases, modeling out, and then dipping a toe in. And, I, and when I come back to, you know, needing to be invested, it, it's an area where it behooves the insurance carriers to be in, recognizing that the, uh, the landscape is going to change. You know, you are going to have a reduction in frequency severity and therefore premium. That's a big part of their books. And they're going to need to supplement that with taking on some of that product liability risk. Um, you know, I think you also kind of asked about how the product liability may shake out. And I think it's worth noting that although this technology is, is new and innovative, I don't know that that necessarily means that the entire legal framework is going to be new and innovative, right? How, how is this set up now with, with uh, OEMs? You've got tier one, two, three manufacturers. They're providing brakes. They're providing airbags, tires. When you have a major recall or a major fail point, Bridgestone tires, Takata airbags, that all gets tendered back through those tier ones, right? So I think the framework is there for addressing that product liability risk. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. That there's a uh, there's at least some uh, scaffolding to hang a house on. Uh, you, you don't have to create entirely new legal arguments, but this is coming. Look, this is coming to more than just commercial trucking. Uh, delivery vehicles, you know, this is, this is we got to deal with this across the board. Uh, you, have, you have autonomous commercial drones in my town. My town is one of two cities, College Station is one of two cities in the country. Amazon's running their drone delivery. So you've got, you've got, you know, beyond visual line of sight, autonomous drones. All right. Then you've got, you know, autonomous commercial trucking. And then, then you've got like built robotics. Built robotics built a really, really heavy set of bolt-ons to heavy construction equipment. And it operates completely autonomously as well. So, you know, it's it's impacting a ton of categories all at once. Um, Boston Dynamics, which is now owned by Hyundai Motor Company, um, you know, they made huge waves with Spot, the robotic dog, and then then their their humanoid robot, both of which are fully autonomous. I mean, fully autonomous. You you give them a mission, they'll go execute it. They'll move around people automatically. They move around objects automatically. They have three D mapped the space. All of these things require similar legal arguments, right? Because it's software piloting them, not a human anymore. A human might be observing and may have the ability to override if they can react in time. But look, uh, you, you, you're really, uh, I think people need to open their mind a little bit and just remind, remember that this, this is like eight or 10 categories all at the same time doing the same thing. 
Uh, first, for my own curiosity, because you are in Texas, how many of these drones have been shot down by uh, angry Texans? <laughs> Nobody yet. Now, I'll say this. Okay. Um, Amazon did a really good job in our town of explaining what's going on, <laughs> of getting on the news, of having town hall meetings, of getting the buy-in of city council and the mayor and the police department. Uh, so generally, everybody here is really excited. They have to come map your house. You have a specific area. And they, they, they contact you and let you know that you're in the area or not. I'm not. I'm evidently a, a mile or, or something outside the radius they want to do for their initial test. But they've done a pretty impressive job. But I will say this. Every single one of my friends has guns at their house. All of them. And so <laughs> they are fully capable of shooting down a drone. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it is interesting that that drone doesn't actually land, right? It, it you, you go place the target out, and then it lowers down, and it drops the package, and then it takes off. So right. I, think they're, I think they're trying to protect it some level. As much as they avoid- can. As much as they can, as much as they can, <laughs> as much as they can. To your point on all those examples of uh, different types of robotics, I think the the common through point is that those are in constrained ODDs, right, operating domains. And uh, I get the question somewhat regularly: When is autonomy going to happen? And and that's a really broad question. And the answer is nuanced, and it, it involves it's happening now. If you look at industrial automations and warehouses and ports and and yards, mining, it's happening in the very near future uh, when we talk about very well-defined commercial trucking routes. And then as we go further into the horizon, it's happening more broadly and at higher degrees of autonomy for the vehicles that you and I drive every day. But I think that there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, gosh, there's a tendency to oversimplify the question, especially when you get public polls. Are you are you comfortable with autonomous vehicles? And the public says no. Well, because they don't know anything about it, and they're not given the nuance of where are these going to be operated over what time period and what weather conditions, day or night, all of these things that play a part. If you were to go to somebody and say are you comfortable with autonomous vehicles that are driving in Florida in sunny weather at 15 miles an hour on a predefined route? That's a different question, right? And that's where we're at right now. Rob, you want to take us home? Yeah, Steve, I'm just curious uh, in terms of, uh, so you're on the front lines, right? Of kind of this uh, autonomous revolution across a a myriad of different fronts and and its intersection with the, the insurance industry what are some big outstanding questions that you're looking to resolve or you think need to be resolved or you're in conversations and, and help kind of leading forward that you'd like our listeners and, and viewers to kind of be thinking about as they wrap their mind around this topic? Regulatory and, and public perception are, are two really large looming things in this space. Uh, there are a lot of smart people on the AV company side. Um, there's a good kind of cross-pollination at this point as the industry matures, where these AV companies are bringing in um, compliance and and regulatory experts and former government officials, which I think does a good job because that information has to be translated back to lawmakers on a state level and a a federal level to uh, pass legislation that is appropriate, that allows the uh, development of the technology in in a safe fashion. You know, we live in 50 different countries just based on the way that our state law works and our insurance <laughs> law work. So so that's going to be really key from a 
yeah, infrastructural standpoint, right? Is is the country going to be ready for the technology as much as is the technology going to be ready for deployment? Uh, and then the other problem that we just wrestle with every day is, as I mentioned before, getting insurance carriers comfortable with that next step. And we execute that by very close contact with our clients and understanding that although we're talking in the very highest of high technology, uh, we're dealing with people. And at this point, we need to get the right people in the room face to face, you know, with the, the tangible ability to, to tact, you know, the tact, tactical or tactile input of touching the vehicles, taking a demo ride, seeing um, the expertise of the engineers and the safety drivers and the, and the attorneys. That goes a long way into building confidence. Yeah, I'm from Louisiana, so we really are a different country. So just just saying we don't we don't use the same universal commercial code. We have parishes instead of counties. We use Napoleonic code instead of English common law. <laughs> like I, I've been in Texas for 20, uh, 26 years or so, but uh, I'll never forget how when I left the state of Louisiana, how different it really was and how true your statement really is. Is in, you you've got to. You've got to get Boudreaux and Thibodeau on the bayou comfortable with this in Baton Rouge, and you've got to you've got to get everybody else in the country on board too. And I'm from California, right? We we we've got people on the other fringe that want to <laughs> secede and say we're the sixth largest economy. Let's create our own state. So yeah, I mean that's a yeah. great example of polar opposites within our our country. Yeah, there's a lot of those a lot of those examples. Uh, that's great. Well, um, really, where can people go to find more information out about Insurance Office of America? Uh, IOAUSA.com. It's a lot of vowels if we were playing Wheel of Fortune. Um, <laughs> you, you can look look me up on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, there's no shortage of ways. If you, if you Google Steve Miller IOA Insurance, uh, I actually do come up despite the fact that uh, my, my dad named me Steve Miller well after he should have known better with the band. Um, <laughs> I do come up if you type Steve Miller Insurance. Yeah, well, good. And and Steve Miller band's a good thing too. So we'll just it, just I'm a junior, <laughs> right? So so that was why I got named that. But again, by the eighties, I think my dad should have gone. You know, I, this may not be a senior junior sort of thing. This might just be interpreted as, "Hey, are you that Steve Miller?" <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, Steve, uh, the Steve Miller. Thank you for being on uh, the Insure Tech Geek with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, James. Thanks, Rob. And Rob, uh, thank you for joining on as always. Absolutely. And yeah, Steve, just want to let you know my first ever concert was Steve Miller Band. So there you go. Ties there it go. all together. <laughs> there you go. I hope you had a great there's, time. <laughs> there, there, and there's the tie-in, folks. And this is uh, James Benham. Thank you for tuning in today to Geek Out for our interview with Steve Miller from Insurance Office of America Innovation Group. See you next time. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. All about technology that is transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, and thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.